Yes, Honest Actors is back with brand new episodes every Friday. To help me continue releasing new episodes without a sponsor, or to say thanks for your favourite old ones, click the support link in the episode description. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. It's a one-off, feeling generous, good deed for the day sort of thing. Think of it as bumping into me and buying me a drink. To find out more, click the support link. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Uh, yeah, mine's a large red. I hate those guys. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, my name's Jonathan Harden, and you're listening to the Honest Actors Podcast episode of series four um if you've joined me again thank you very much for coming back there's loads of uh previous episodes to listen to if you haven't yet heard them all i have my favorites everyone does i'm not going to say what they are because it's for, for you to find them but uh like i say thanks for coming back uh thanks to those as well who you continue to support the podcast via acast support the link is in the episode description if you want to make a one-off small or big donation to help me continue these podcasts. That would be gratefully appreciated. So here we are back again in the studio, back on Zoom and about to admit this week's interviewee, Mr. Steve Mayo. Now I've wanted to have Steve on this for quite a while. I think I've asked him about six times to do it and then for one reason or another, I haven't got back to him because something's happened. So this time, thankfully, I followed through and I'm very excited to have him on the show. So here he is, Mr. Steve Mayo. Admit. <laughs> Jonathan Harden. How's it going, man? All right, mate. Yeah, yeah, all right, yeah. Yeah. It's been it's been a long year, isn't it? I don't even think next year is going to be that great either. I mean, if I'm totally honest, mate. I don't, no, no, I don't. I, I after this year, I don't no hope. I'm literally like I'm starting to to brush up my sort of like survival skills and things like that. Yeah, but you have it good just, survival skills anyway. I mean, of all I the do, actors mate. I know, of all the actors I know, I would say you're in the top three for. Oh, right, oh that's good. Who are the other two? Just in case we need to like band together and form. One of them's called a guy called Fraffy. He's an actor from Belfast. I know Fraffy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I feel obliged at this point to come in with the correction. This is me the night after we had the chat doing the edit and saying, it's not Fraffy, of course. It's Fragon. Totally different people. Totally different actors. Sorry, Fraz. And then uh, number three is probably Bram Blessed. <laughs> that guy would survive a nuclear holocaust. Yeah. Did, uh, was it you that told me the um, uh, Brown Blessed story about uh, when he climbed Everest without any like oxygen? <laughs> I think it was because it was on, was it like Soccer AM or something years ago? And I, I remember I mean, the about, jaw about, hit the floor. About take, taking the shit up there. Gee, no, I, didn't, I don't know that story. <laughs> he, was, he said, uh, 
uh, climbing Everest and uh, it's so dry up there, you just, instead of, instead of putting down, you just, you're shaking your pants. And it all sort of dries out the party and turns to dust in your pants and disappears. But this youngster that was with him just couldn't bring himself to do it. So they're, they're, they're like nailed to the side of, of this mountain over this precipice. So like there's nowhere to go. And this kid was like, no, no, I can't. I'm not going to shit my pants. I've got to go outside the tent. So like he's like scrambling along this ledge and stuff, went out for a shit. And he said, he zipped himself back into the tent after going, and all of a sudden there was this tremendous stink of shit. <laughs> well, this kid, right, he stuck his ass over the edge of this precipice in Everest. He'd taken a dump, but the, the updraft was so strong, it had blown it up onto his shoulder like a parrot, and he'd got back into the tent with his tail on his that, shoulder like I a definitely parrot. did not tell you that story, but I'm glad you told me. <laughs> no, everyone knows. Um, first of all, Stephen Mayo, this is your life. Da, 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 what a show that was. Yeah. What a show that was. It really was, wasn't it? I was thinking about this the other day. I really missed that show. Just that kind of, you know, the the very the disembodied voice. Yeah. Yeah, Steve, Steve. I remember fondly uh, working with you back in. Uh, it was, it was, it was one of the. It's not, is it? <laughs> I thought you were dead. Uh, I hoped he was dead. So uh, I would be saying, Steve. I remember fondly interviewing you for the podcast. I'm thankful to this day. Uh, you elevated the show and made it what it is. So, um, Stephen Mayo. Is it Mayo or Mayo? It's more. I thought you might say it's something not, like that. It's Mayo. It's um, of Italian descent. Yeah, Bruno asked me this earlier and I said Italian. And it's like, as I was saying it, it was like, I'm pretty sure I made that up. And then. No, no, it's from De Mayo. Yeah. De Mayo. Yeah, two brothers, um, Alfonso and Rocco, came over from Italy back in the late 1800s. Yes. Alfonso apparently had got a waitress in, um, in trouble. Yes. In the family way. Yes. And she was involved in, her family were quite a, a serious sort of mafiosa-linked family. So they, they stole two antique violins and paid for passage to Britain. With the remaining money, uh, Rocco set himself up as landlord of the Red House in Brighton, I think. And um, Alfonso booked a ticket on the Titanic. <laughs> True story. And and I'm getting out of here, loser. <laughs> Stick around See Britain you if you want. <laughs> Real yeah. a fucking dream. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so tell us this: How did how did the descendant of a couple of Italian? Uh, pornographers. That's certainly what I heard in that story. How did um, how did you get into acting? Um, by accident, really. I was, I, it was always something I'd sort of done. I got like, I, I was Bugsy in Bugsy Malone in the school play and I did a lot of Amdram stuff, but it was never something I, I really considered for a career just because I always thought I'd end up poor, you know, uh, and my family always discouraged it because my family were all working class, all tradesmen, and there wasn't a lot of money around. But I, I was quite good academically in school without really trying. So I was always pushed to go in, in that 
way. And and I I did I did my A levels, and I was just applying to go to law schools. And my father walked into my bedroom, sat me down with a very serious look on his face, and said, "Look, I know this isn't what you want to do." I said, "Oh no, no, you know, I'll I'll do it. I want to be a, I want to be you know earn lots of money and be a rich barrister or lawyer." Or, and he said, just follow your heart. What do you, what does your heart tell you to do? And yeah, I said, I'd love to give acting a shot. He said, we'll give it a shot. It doesn't work out. You can always do the law thing later, you know? And, yeah. and so this is something that you did, I guess. You started that by saying you never really, <clears throat> never really thought of it because, you know, you thought you were going to be poor. But, but it seems that obviously you did think about it, but you just didn't maybe talk about it. Was something that you were keen on, and something that you did yeah, have a yeah. It was it was constantly, constantly discouraged by by the family. You know, <clears throat> I'd always like talk about maybe having a career as an actor, and they'd always say, "Oh, you know, oh, no, all actors are poor." Not not that my family ever met an actor or knew an actor or anyone in the family had ever been anywhere near an actor, apart from like in Pampton. But they all knew that they were all poor. You know. My grandfather, my grandfather always do this impression. Oh, you'd be an actor boy. You'd be outside the train station with your hat on uh, on the floor in front of you playing a guitar, going, "Hey, man," and all that. And he still does it. <laughs> my grandmother on my father's side, even after she'd seen me in two or three regular TV series that I do through us, would still tell her neighbours that oh, Stephen's going to be an animator when he grows up. I've literally got a degree in acting and I'm doing well, you know. <laughs> Things are going well. I'm an animator. Okay. Don't know where she had that from. And you're quite sporty though as well. Was that did you yeah. ever was you were you ever close to that becoming a, a more serious path? Was there a was there a kind of decision no. to be made there or or were you able to do both side <coughs> by side fairly comfortably? Uh, not really. If it, if it was would have been anything, it would have been rugby, I think. But like, I'm only five foot seven, and I used to get smashed a lot. You know, these big sort of six foot five flankers would. So I'd play out at half, so they'd always peel off and just tackle me around the neck before it was sort of you know made the league until like nineteen ninety four and ninety five, where you could literally like just take someone's head off. I just thought, nah, it's not, this isn't a viable option for an yeah, intelligent I mean, man. For I can value. vouch for that. Like I, I, I did a play in Wales and as you know, I ended up with two broken bones. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, it's not for the faint hearted. I can only imagine what rugby's well, like. The, up there. <laughs> the lines are blurred between rugby and drama in, in yes. Wales. But do you find a lot, is there a big crossover? Yeah. No, not really. No. Although, weirdly, you say that, my first ever professional theatre job was with Gareth Chilcott, the England prop. It was I John Godpers. You, literally, you literally could have made that name up, mate. I have no idea about anything to do with rugby. <laughs> Gareth Chilcott, did you say? Yeah, he's a really... Um, do you know Brian Moore, the very famous hooker? Gareth Edwards. I know Gareth Edwards. Is he a rugby player? They, they, were, um, they were sort of... Late 80s, early 90s era, um, English front row boys. But Gav Chilcott, he, he's no, huge. He's got his no. big sort of 
no, of don't know. <laughs> no, never heard of him. He's a rugby player. He's a big. Does he know me? Fat rugby player. But it was John Godber's up and under, and um, Andy Hay at Bristol Old Vic put it on down there with Gareth Chilcott, this local legend, um, playing the sort of retired rugby pro that comes and sort of coaches this rubbish team into uh, into shape. But I was the only guy in the entire cast that had done any rugby before, so he demonstrated everything on me. Like handoffs and fens and high tackles and stuff like that. That was, that was black and blue. Good Brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. So what's your earliest memory of being on stage? I went to see um, some TIE in in my local comprehensive before I was actually a pupil there. So I was about 10, I think. And <clears throat> they had this, this bit where they chose one person out of the audience to go up and be like someone who hid inside the cart. And then they pulled this sort of like dish off and then your head is sort of like on the cart, you know? Yeah. And they chose me. Um, Big laugh. Oh, yeah. But mate, I remember shaking. Like being inside the trolley on stage, shaking with fright as a little ten-year-old, and there was like hundreds of people there. It was like like not just my school. There was, it was like all the schools in the area converged on this for this this big sort of theatre show. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. And then I was telling this writer when I was in drama school, a guy called Greg Cullen, about my first ever trip, and he was like, "I wrote that. That was me. I used to write for that theatre company. I wrote that." Please. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. Brilliant. Didn't definitely, the, definitely the, yeah, definitely the most interesting first time on stage so far. <laughs> um, so did you, did that set, is that something that set you in a path? Did you go, fuck, I like this, after the, the lids lifted and you get a laugh? <laughs> or is there a gap before you actually started it yourself again? Um, no, no, it didn't at all. It, it, if anything, it sort of like made me quite wary and put me off a bit because I, I found it so terrifying. Yeah. Uh, but then I got I got the part of Bugsy Malone in Bugsy Malone when I was in my first year of comprehensive school, <clears throat> and all of a sudden I was getting like a lot of attention off very pretty girls in the school, you know. Yep. So I was like, I was like, hey, help! Maybe there's something in this. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I know it's the basis of, of sort of. Entries into the. I'm not going to say I was any. Uh, there was a, any artistic sort of <laughs> need or desire. Yes, and you was the only one. Who it was said literally that. just hormonal. Yeah. And so, were you good at it? Then you must have been to get the lead. Did you feel like you were good at it? Did you feel like you had a natural aptitude? Did you get a kick out of it? Like, what was it that made you come back? To doing it again after that, I think. I think going back to my dad, my dad was always really good at telling stories. Um, he'd always really inhabit the characters and make everything colourful and intriguing, and would spark my imagination. And I think looking back, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed telling a story, and I still enjoy. That's that's the bit of acting I think that really, really floats my boat is the is the storytelling aspect of it. And you do that with your kids. 
Do you find yourself yeah. being that dad? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. My 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 wife is um is a very very experienced voiceover artist, very busy, very experienced, and she's now got like a series of um stories that she's uh read and put onto YouTube. It's called Reading with Ellie, and she is like the best person I've ever met professionally at accents. So I'm, like, I'm not even. I'm not. I'm playing catch up like massively. I mean, she wouldn't be better than me, like. Um, but well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, horses for courses, you know. It's all yeah, good to, yeah. Good suppose, there's no yeah. right or wrong. Yeah, there's no right or wrong in accents. That's no. what you want an accent coach to say. A drunken <laughs> accent coach, dad. I coach on the film. There's no right or wrong in accents, <laughs> right? Uh, okay, so what was your first paid job? My first paid job. As an actor, obviously. My first paid job, I left drama school a term early to do that up and under, the John Godber thing. You're with, one um, of those fuckers. That, yeah. You're one of those fuckers who's like, oh, I didn't even finish drama school, graduated, but they let me out, got a job, landed <laughs> on my feet, went into yeah. the TV show, fucking... Yeah, I'm um, pretty much haven't stopped working since then. Is that true? Yeah, it is pretty much. Yeah, you're a fucker. I'm up. I know, mate. I'm sorry. Um, what were your expectations then of what your career might be? Did you think is that is that an instant kind of fuck? I'm I'm winning here at the game of life. I am, um, I am the one of my year that's getting to go out early. Everyone's looking at me like fuck. Steve's got out to do his thing. <laughs> Did you expect at that point that you would be the success story of that cohort? No, no, not at all. No, not at all. I think um, I got lucky, you know. I got lucky in that I was I was working with Andy Hay, the guy that um, was in charge of Bristol Bick at the time and who cast me in that uh, rugby play. He came in to do like a, a workshop in the college and I was one of the guys that got to get up and do a monologue for him. And then he directed me through the monologue type thing and it went really well. And I think on the strength of that, he called me in for an audition and <clears throat> it was for the part of the young, cocky, confident, sort of lippy, young Welsh lad could be Welsh in it. And of course, you know, you're in your third year of college you're, you're, full, you're, you're invincible in here, you know, you're no, going to live for it. No, exactly. No, no. So I picked, I picked for my audition speech a stand-up speech from the Fast Show Live video. And I did that. And he loved it. And yeah. I got cast. Yeah. Um, what's the one project you're most proud of? And I always get people to because I'm... Um, too soft. I'm too soft. I'm too easy on people. <laughs> I just need to be um, more firm. I need to be more assertive, but I can't. So fuck <laughs> it. You can have two. <clears throat> I, don't, I think theatre-wise, uh, theater I would probably say Les Mis. Yeah. Just because it was always my favourite musical. Um, and, you know, it's, it's Les Mis. It's like the most successful musical that's ever been 
mm-hmm. and I got to close out the original production. I got to be the last ever RSC's version of the show. The, the oh, last Tenardier. So yeah. You, it's your fault. <laughs> they said it would never close. Well, we showed them. <laughs> so, yeah. TV-wise, TV-wise, probably, um, I did a sitcom called High Hopes for for about nine years. <clears throat> and although it wasn't my sense of humour, not really, like it's very broad, very sort of sitcom-esque sense of humour, I had such a lovely time. Um, I, I was one quarter of um, a family unit that that was so lovely to sort of revisit every year, you know. And it went down really well in Wales. Uh, yeah, so I'd say that was probably the TV that I'm most proud of. Right. So that so concludes the first part of the uh, the chat. This is where we move on to a, the bit where... Um, the ultimate aim is to get you to break down. Um, <laughs> is it like that uh, Pierce Morgan series where we got to? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, I am the well, Pierce, the Pierce Morgan of like, podcasts. This is today is the 18th anniversary of my dad passing away this very day. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't, know what the appro- I don't know what the appropriate response, because it's not like I'm sorry to hear that, because... It's so long ago that, it, you know, I knew your dad had passed away. So I guess the most well, appropriate thing to say is uh, I hope it hasn't been too difficult. No, it's been, it's, <clears throat> it's always a weird day, you know. Yeah. It's always a weird day, but uh, yeah, 18 years, man. That's the weird thing is like, it seems so long ago since, since I had a cuddle, you know. And what do you think he'd make of, say, for example, Les Mis or... Or even just the fact that, you know, you're down, living where you are, you've had the life that you've had. Yeah. And, he, and he's missed yeah, out I think, I think, he, I, think I, I like to think he'd be proud, you know. I think I've, I've certainly lived the life to date that people from my little village would only dream about and I would only have dreamt about growing up in, in that house, you know. Um. Yeah, I, I I like to think he'd be proud. I like to think he'd be proud. Les Mis, weirdly, um, that's what him and my mother went to see for their joint 40th um, birthdays. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah. They were both big Les Mis fans. It was about the only musical that they both liked. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was cool. Has your mum been up it to see the show in London? Yeah, she came up to see it, I think, when about four days after I opened and I, I walked her up to uh, the theatre. And of course, more, it, they call Les Mis the glums. You know, everybody comes, everybody cries. But my mum, I was walking her up through Leicester Square, right? On the way. And, uh, yeah, on the way. Oh, no. We walked past Cret and and I jumped in to get a little sort of like half-time snack. I came back out. My mum was crying because there was a picture of Cosette, you know, the, the Les Mis poster, outside outside the Cret and My mum was already gone. She hadn't even entered the building. They hadn't even called half. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Tell her I said hello. I was talking to Bruna earlier on about her dart skills. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I said, will do. Uh, you two playing darts out the back of the theatre. It's great. 
Like, oh, mate, I, d- I bought myself a brand new kayak out of the money I made playing darts at Lake Miz. Really? Yeah, yeah. We'd all play darts. Be a big darts cast? Uh, do you know what? No, neither did I, but Dean Chisnell and Steve Moss, the MD. Dean Chisnell, the um, player? No, Dean Chisnell, no, no. Sorry, no, it's no. another guy you mentioned earlier. <laughs> no, no, it's Gareth Chilcott. Same thing. <laughs> So he's a very good uh, golfer by all accounts and a cricketer, but not a, not a rugby player. <laughs> yeah, we used to play for sort of, you know, an awful lot, like a pound a game or a fiver here and there and stuff. And I wasn't a lot better than everybody else. I was just just enough, just That's a enough. tiny, tiny bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't there, obviously. But, um, yes, of course. Yeah. My, my, I rug- wouldn't have been my better rugby dart. I mean, I'm an all rounder sports wise. You are. Um, you're, you're the Daily Thompson. Of See, yeah, the sports. Daily, you don't even, you must know Daily Thompson. <laughs> of course, I know who fucking Daily Thompson is. He's a chef, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's you a chef, are. isn't he? You are. He's a chef, Daily Thompson. Yes, yeah, he's yes. a very good chef. Yeah. Yes. No, yes. I think I think I sat beside her in school. Um, so <laughs> I was going to ask don't you. Did, go ahead. No, go on. I was just going to make a rubbish dad joke. Uh, I mean, all my jokes are rubbish dad jokes, but at least I now have an excuse. Uh, do you enjoy auditions? Are you a kind of yes, man I, who enjoys the opportunity to meet people, impress them? I, d- I do. I don't like, I tell you what I don't like is musical auditions. Never done one. Oh, mate, it's like a firing squad. You walk in and like normally if you audition first, if you actually go into a room and audition and don't self-tape, you go in and you meet the casting director and there's a camera there, isn't there? And they or their assistant will read by the side of the camera. It's all very polite, it's all very nice, it's all very welcoming. Walk into a musical audition and there's like five or six people sat behind this desk in a huge studio room and they're sort of like two-thirds of the way back. So you've got this huge expansive room that you've got to place yourself in. And in the corner, pianist. And everybody looks bored before you've even started singing. And you'll be singing and giving it your all. And like a lot of the time, you won't see anyone's face. They'll be sort of like down writing, you know, talking, talking amongst themselves and stuff. Do you know when additions have gone well? Like, have you a sense of. Well, I thought I did. But the last sort of like year or so, not counting this year, obviously. I've walked out of a couple and thought, I have nailed that. Let's take that one to the bank. And not heard an absolute dicky bird about it. Like, not even come close. And others, I've walked out sort of embarrassed, thinking, no, 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 no. Totally messed that up. I've got. What do you put that down to? I really don't know. I really don't know. Because you uh, get like a breakdown, you get like a script, and you you've got a, a you know you've got an estimation about what you think they're going to be looking for, mm. what what the character traits are. So you know you go with and give them as, as close to that as you sort of as you can, and sometimes you do what you think you want to do, and sometimes you don't. But it's weird, isn't it? Like. The amount of times you hear people saying, oh, you know, thought I'd nailed it. They said brilliant. I said brilliant. I felt brilliant. Never heard another thing. So whether you're going, oh, that was amazing. And soon you're out of the room going, 
that stunk. That really stunk for what he said. You know? Would you rather they were honest in that case? Or do you think it's kind of a... It's a, a no, 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 no. It's an acceptable thing, right? Lie to me until I'm out the door. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, ignorance is bliss. Um, does... I don't want feedback. <laughs> I was going to ask you, like, uh, did you, in your earlier in your career particularly, did you get any kind of regular, a, a kind of recurrent feedback that annoyed you? Like, was there anything people said about, about you as a performer or you as an auditioner that you didn't like or that, that you felt was coming too often or? I don't know. I, I think, as is often the case, you get a little bit of work doing a certain part and all of a sudden you get auditions for the same part over and over again. So I don't know about like notes, but I certainly, I certainly would have liked to have done a lot more serious drama but I suppose the grass is always greener. I've done a lot of comedy, and but I, I don't know. Being being having a regional accent, I found myself constantly auditioning for comedy best friend of the English lead. You know, and it just seemed like I was getting the same script every single time. You know, bumbling sort of in between jobs, sort of best friend. Comes into the room, says something zany and stupid, then leaves. And just got a bit bored of it all. I've know? made a career of being a sidekick, dude. I've made a career of being a sidekick well, to... Well, me, me too. And, better known and I've actors. had a lovely time doing it. But I don't know, you just get, just get a little bit jaded getting the same script through for eight years, you know. Yeah. You must have been good at it, though. <laughs> I do stupid really well. Yeah, I can believe that. Um, yeah. An agent once told me that actors are only ever truly happy when they get the job. And then five minutes later, the self-doubt kicks in. Do you recognize yourself in that? And if not, what kind of things do you start to think about? in the aftermath of that piece of news? Um, I've never really been someone who, who defines him. My, I don't define myself by how busy I am or um, how much work I'm doing, you know? Um, I'm, I'm happiest when I'm out on the cliffs walking with the boys and, and my my wife and oh, I'm out fishing and I'm floating out in the middle of the sea on my kayak and acting acting pays my bills but very rarely is it and never is it my sole source of happiness. I really love the work. I really enjoy it. But it's something I do to live, you know? And and I've come really close to some huge jobs that would have changed my entire family's life, you know? Massive sort of films. And, yeah, you know, it takes you a while to get past that because get past the what-ifs and things like that. But, no, I think 
I've always taken a pragmatic approach to it. So, yeah, I, I, I love getting jobs. And as far as self-doubt goes, yeah, you, that, that's always something you've got to battle. But I think you've just got to back yourself, haven't you? You know? Or try to. Because you always reach that point sort of two and a half weeks into rehearsals where you think, I'm rubbish. I know I'm rubbish. They've made a mistake casting me. Everybody else thinks I'm rubbish. But then within within a week, you know, but it is though, isn't it? But then totally, within a week, man. sort of up on your feet. The various you know, stages of that. There are so many yeah. stages for that, you know, yeah. multiple points at which I have that thought. Yeah. Just don't, just, just fight it. Because there's a reason. They saw something in you to give you the job, didn't they? You know? Thanks, man. You're welcome, buddy. That means a lot. Um, you came on leaps and bounds. <laughs> uh, so you say back yourself, which is an interesting thing. Um, I'm worth holding on to. And unpacking, like, have you been guilty at times then of not backing yourself? Is that something you've learned that you've had in it? Or is it something that you've learned through doing the opposite? No, I think it's something I've I've always tried to do, you know. Maybe coming from so I was very sporty growing up, like you said earlier. And it's it's almost like a sporting mentality that that I take with all that. You know, you sort of dig in and you dig deep, you believe in yourself and, and things will happen. You know, I think um I'm a big believer in sort of your mental approach to something has a tangible physical outcome you know if you really believe in yourself then it does make a difference does, does that make a difference you yeah. don't suffer from stage fright beyond that uh, 10 year old underneath a, a do you know a what silver I, dome i <laughs> um i started to i started to where was i i was on stage Usually it was doing. Um, it was doing Pride, Pride and Prejudice at uh, Regent's Park Open Air Theatre, and I had this opening, opening speech <clears throat> um, as Mr. Collins, you know, the pervy um, vicar. And they 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 chopped and changed a little bit of the blocking and a little bit of the lines about two days before we started started preview. Yeah, right, I've got to walk down stage. Every, I'm the only thing on stage. I walk down stage and I deliver this really pompous, wordy monologue straight out to the audience. Stephen, we're going we're gonna to cut that third line, okay? Oh, mate. Stephen, got... sorry, we're going to put that third line back in, actually, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, it's, we take it's the fourth really, one out this time? It's really what happened after like a month of rehearsals. They go, oh, sorry, no, we take that out. No, change that around with that. Do you think you could come in through the audience and put <laughs> and put the fourth line back in, actually, as well? I thought maybe yeah. would be the thing. <laughs> Mate, I walked down stage. I think it was either the first or second preview. I got about four lines in, and I just went... <laughs> and I, I took about four deep breaths. I walked back up stage. I turned around, and I started again. And I started to cry. <laughs> oh, mate, I, my heart was beating so hard. I could feel it in my, I, I was pretty sure it was like, ears. it was flapping my ears forward with the blood pressure. 
Oh, wow. Yeah. And, and, and then the following night then, does that become a kind of, oh shit, oh shit? Yes. Yeah. And that, that was the beginning of a six, seven month tour. Um, and yeah, I started, I started to get, a li- only at that point, once I'd gone past that speech, I was fine. But I'd get like dizzy and feeling a bit sick and anxious <sighs> and everything like that. But, and, and then when I started Les Mis, it was in the back of my mind, like, oh, no, 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 you, you know, you better, yeah, yeah, if that happens, this is in front of a thousand people every night <laughs> in, in London's glittering West End. But I have to say, I was barely, adrenaline, yes, nervous with Les Mis, no, no, and I, I couldn't tell you why. I couldn't tell you Because they didn't why. fucking change the lines two days before you started <laughs> and fuck about with the blocking because they know they know it works. Oh, mate, I forgot the light. There was two instances where I forgot my words halfway through a song. But I don't think I've ever made. got the lines so, out right in any performance of every so, play I've ever done. Oh, mate, the lines went. We're supposed to go, make for the shores, get underground, leave it in me, don't wait around. And, it, and I knew the tune, I knew the rhythm but I forgot the, the, the two last sentences. So, so in front of a mate, in front of a thousand people, I literally went, "Make for the shores, get underground, diddly dee, metal and metal." I like air guitar it. It would totally, dude. If you do that with enough conviction and fast enough, no one yeah. noticed. The worst thing was everybody I was talking to was staring upstage, and I was the only one looking out to the audience, and they all pissed themselves laughing. Amazing. Oh, and I Amazing. Had a, oh. um, do you then, at the other end of it, do you read reviews? Do you, do you, have you Googled yourself? Do you Google, do you search, Twitter search, Steve Mayo, review, Les Mis? I, I used to. I used to. But I haven't done it for a while. Steve Mayo, gorgeous. <laughs> <laughs> Steve Mayo nude pics. <laughs> oh, I haven't seen one of those in the ages. Yeah, so I'll show you. One. I'll send you one. Thanks, man. Um, why? 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 What's the? Why not anymore? What changed? Um, I just I saw a couple of my friends like have a bad review and implode and it really sort of affected their performance they started to pander to reviews in what they were doing on stage and i just realized like it's it's one person's opinion and that's it you know and the trouble with with us as as human beings is that we do. We remember every cutting thing that people say, but all the good stuff gets washed away. You know, it's only the really hurtful stuff that seems to linger. So it's not worth it. Be in the moment. Remember your lines. Don't bump into the scenery and don't be a twat. And, you know, that's... Don't be a twat is, is should be number one on that list. Yeah. Yeah, it should be, yeah. It should be number one and number four on that list. Yeah. 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 Read and the last one to read all the way to the bottom of the list. Um so how important do you think talent is 
versus luck? I don't, I think, I think they're equally important, really. You know, I, I trained with some amazing actors that never got a break. And I know some actors that are very lucky to have got their break. What do you, you, know? what do you, what are you saying, Steve Mayo? <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying that some people have had a very, very great career based entirely on how they look. I've never, oh, I've never no, considered I mean, myself to be good looking. I just want to say that. Oh, oh come on, <laughs> come on. <laughs> uh, so, do, do you do you believe in big breaks? Have you had oh, yes. yours? Yeah, have yeah. you been in the verge of them? Have you have you thought you were in the midst of one, and it's turned out to be a false hope? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got um, yeah. I I was uh, yes, I was. Up for a massive multi-million pound sort of um, film that would have been a huge, like a world-changing big break. And also, I've got jobs that I thought, right, this is it. This is going to be it, the vehicle. This is going to be the launch. It, this is going to put me in. Yes, this is the time. This is the one that's going to. Take me to the tap. And then you watch the first step and you go, oh. Yeah, oh. they fucked it. They fucked it. They fucked it in post. I think, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> What's the longest <laughs> you've been without work, Stephen Mayo? Uh, I think about six months. And at that point, does it start, to, do you ever get to the point where you think like, ah, oh, shit, this isn't going to happen? Or do you do that dig deep thing and go believe in yourself? Uh, I, I try to, but it's easier. It is easier said than done, isn't it? When you've got bills to pay and, and things. Um, yeah. It's, I do say that, oh yeah, I've never defined myself, my happiness by how busy I am, but I can tell you when I'm really not busy, I do get a little bit anxious. <laughs> of course. Not, not sad. I, I, I tend to sort of just need a little bit more me time. You know? Yeah. And if I was to have met you at, say, the lowest ebb of that six months, whenever you were feeling <clears throat> like you needed a lot more me time, um, mm. like how bad does it get? Do you, do you get to the point where you think, I need, I need, I need to get a, a proper job. I need to go to, maybe, maybe I should go back and train as a lawyer. Have you, have you ever got to that point where you thought? Yeah. yeah. I t- I, um, yeah, I have considered it, and I, I still do consider it, um, but it's more out of being a father now, you know? Because back in the day, if I had three, four, five months off, fine, you know, you sort of tighten the belt and you get through it, you know? But with children, you have a certain a certain heightened sort of need you know, for continuity of, of cash flow. So yeah, I've been, I've been considering doing a bit of teaching here and there and things like that, you know, but, but that's, I, if, if I was going to go back and sort of like say to my younger self, when leaving drama school, one important thing, 
it would probably be to find that other job that you didn't mind doing in between jobs. And not just didn't mind doing, but, you know, could see yourself doing for a year maybe while you were waiting for that that job. Because, like, I I don't come from a family that has the bank of mum and dad. You know, I, I can't... I can't ask my my mother for mortgage money, you know. And what that does, it it puts a pressure on you to say yes to jobs as they come in instead of you being able to be discerning about what work you do. It's a necessity. I was living in London, massively high rent. You know, I had to I had to take the jobs. I had to take the jobs as they were coming in. But if I'd have if I'd have had something else that would have paid my bills, I could have, and it does sound quite defeatist, doesn't it? Sort of like, well, no, you know, yeah. find yourself another thing, but actually it's, it's empowering because it does give you then the option to say no to stuff. It's empowering, but I guess the concern would always be for me that if it was that, if it paid my bills, then my thing would be like, what? Why would I not just go and do that? You know what well, I mean? Like, yeah. the da- like the danger would be if you had something that genuinely paid your bills because of what you talk about, but that, you know, that heightened uh, pressure on having continuity of income that you would just go, that's, I mean, it's a lovely job. It's a lovely play. It's a lovely part. The money's pretty good, but like it's fucking three months. I'm going to have to then start from scratch on the old, b-side again and you know the, the job i, I guess yeah. that's that thing about david mamman always says if you have a fallback you fall back this is true i suppose then it boils down to how much you enjoy it you know and with the, pressure of, with the pressure of parenthood ever ever and this again can probably comes back to what your dad said to you all those years ago which is with the pressure of parenthood ever make you think this continuity of income thing is more important than my enjoyment of what I do. I think if push came to shove, if if my choices were tangibly affecting the quality of, of my children's lives, if I wasn't providing for them in the way that I wanted to, then yeah, I I value my role as a parent higher than any role I've ever played in the acting world <clears throat> you know so yeah if it if it boiled down to it yeah is acting difficult <laughs> i don't know i don't, it's, it's, <laughs> i couldn't i think it's instinctual you know it's yeah. like i think it's an instinctual thing it's I say I'm no, big... and then I say see someone do it really badly, and go fuck it. Must be, it, it must <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah, yeah. I've seen intelligent I... people do it badly all the time, so it can't be that easy. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I just, I see so much waffle about the the craft. Do you know, like people talk about their craft, and for me, it's always been if you can listen and you can react honestly and openly and intelligently, that's it, you know. 
and don't be a twat, obviously. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. If you, if you were to walk up to Joe Bloggs and say, um, I'll give you this much money, go and sing in front of a thousand people eight times a week. You know, like I've had this conversation with my uncle when we've been doing a lot of work on sort of the, the summer house and things like that, you know, and, and he's a, he's a carpenter and he's always taking the mickey. Oh yeah, yeah. You go and, uh, you go and cut me a, uh, you know, a dovetail joint and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah. Okay. But go up and sing in front of a thousand. Oh, I couldn't do that. Oh no, couldn't do that. Shit myself. You know, See, it does, it, it takes a skill set. Does take a skill set. I don't know about difficult. A difficult. I think it's what a, is uh, what is the most difficult thing then about being an actor. Until you get old and you can't remember your lines anymore, I think it's a clarity of maintaining a clarity of concentration. I think, especially like. In a long run, theatre-wise, anyway, it's so easy to sort of slip into a pattern of performance and stop. Auto, auto, automatic performance, mate. Yeah, yeah. That was the big eye opener for me with the difference between sort of straight theatre and, and musical theatre. Because we're used to in straight theatre, we create the atmosphere ourselves, don't we? By a clarity of sort of concentrate collective clarity of concentration and you you make the atmosphere you've got to make the atmosphere by your interaction by the drama you create you've got stage. an orchestra for that in, exactly in, mate in musical theatre yeah. it's literally done for you they are literally there's like a collection of 10 20 amazing musicians playing <laughs> an amazing score you just filling the place with noise and emotion and you just come on and <laughs> it's done for you and the amount of times like I'd be in the middle of a scene and you know I'd be sort of like trying to trying, trying to live it fresh and then I'd hear from behind oh you know Topshop I've got a sale on what <laughs> <laughs> okay. you go out shopping in between shows oh. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? yeah that was a that was a bit of an eye opener because they can you know there's 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 no reason for them to sort of concentrate. Um, so you mentioned your uncle, the carpenter, and his dovetail joints. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> I just had a dad joke thought, and I actually, for the first time tonight, didn't say it, so I'm really pleased with myself. Well done, mate. Well done. Um, still, still, it's still burning. It's burning the whole of my mouth here. Um, say it. No, I'm not going to. Well, I want to hear no, it now. No, 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 because it's not funny. I know <laughs> the thing is, I know it's not funny, but I still have a a real urge to say it. Um. No, no. Uh, do you find your family like? What do they think of of what you do now? So that's one version of it of this kind of like you know taking the piss out of a lack of certain other skills. Um. But then, all, all also acknowledging that you have a set of skills that they don't. But like, do you when you go back home to the village? Is it respect? Is it begrudging respect? Is it is it pride? Is it kind of mockery? Like, what do you think are the the overriding 
driving uh, responses to you as a as a man who's gone and done what you've done? Well, I like I like to think that they're proud, you know, of the stuff that that they've seen me do. Um, Does, do they think it's, it's silly? <laughs> it's a silly pursuit. Well, it's it's yeah yeah I suppose they do. I, um, they don't really equate it with with hard work. Let's put it like that. And whenever like I'll speak to my uncle and he's he's on a, a building site on the, on a roof on a building site and I'll sort of say oh I had a hard day today but you just start out, you, you just start laughing like, hard day mate I mean, and he's been on a roof for like ten hours in the lashing rain in West Wales you know. And he's got a point. He's got a damn good point, you know. Yes, I'm I'm mentally tired after you know a long week rehearsing or something like that. But I'm not carrying bricks forty foot up a ladder all day. I don't want to do that. I do, I've done that. I've 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 done it. Yeah, it's hard work. I used to hobble with my uncle. He used to um, he used to bring me along, and I used to help him do roofs around the. The Swansea Valley. But, oh, no, 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 Have you been aware of a job that's changed you? As in changed who you are or changed your beliefs markedly or were the experience of playing someone that isn't you or is from a different background or empathising with a different life? has changed who you are? I suppose, um, I suppose the, the job that I met my wife on, finally meeting someone that I knew I could and would settle down with, you know? Well, let's let's ask let's ask that question a different way. Then does does acting because I know we you've talked a lot about the bullshit about you know the craft and all this kind of nonsense people go on about. But do you think acting has a psychological impact? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think um, you do a long job on something, and yeah, if you're you're playing some you know some of these parts, they do get under the skin. Um, a guy called, I think his name is James North. I might be mistaken. James Clyde, sorry. James Clyde, actor I worked with on um, um, Shared Experiences, Caucasian Chalk Circle. He said something to me, and it stuck with me. He said, the, the body doesn't know that the brain is joking. So you play some of these parts, and you play some of these angst-ridden sort of, uh, part it, it, it can get into your sort of it's really, really, into your really nervous true. system, yeah, you know, really into true. your body, and and ever since then, I've been I've been quite conscious of the fact that you, you play these parts, you do need to sort of take care of yourself. You talked earlier about if you could go back and offer that younger guy coming out of drama school a piece of advice, and it seems like the you know for the day that's in it, that one piece of advice. I'm sure your dad gave you tons of advice, but that one particular piece of advice that you've mentioned tonight that your dad gave you about, you know, 
following your heart and doing what you want to do is something that actually you've taken to heart and you've continued with. And I imagine it's one of the things that would make it difficult for you if you ever did consider like, you know, maybe I will go and do something that I don't like for the sake of the kids. I'd say it would be a, you'd be caught between uh, generations of the, of your family there, you know. Um, uh, to be honest with you, I would still be following my heart, you know. Yeah. No, no. It, it, that's, that's where my heart lies now is, is providing for, for my boys. So if you, know, you could go back, if you could go, if you could go back to that guy and aside from saying sort out a way of making money outside of acting, that means you don't have to take every job that comes along. What other things might you say to that guy? Maybe just after he finished up and under um, and is on a crest of a wave positivity, all the rest of it. What might you go back and say to him to make his journey to where you are now? If not quicker or easier, smoother, less stressful, or in some way Smoke to ease, to ease his less path. weed. Smoke less weed. I smoked far too much weed through my sort of twenties, and it it really sort of and I, I did it to get over the grief of my dad. I'm pretty sure, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I blame it on anyway. But I smoked so much; it sort of took all my get up and go outside of uh, my career. Uh, and it wasn't until my early 30s that I sort of gave it up. That's what I tell him. I tell him, deal with your grief in a different way. Do you think if he could, if he had the right of reply and could remind you of something that you may have lost or forgotten along the way that he values or he valued, what might he remind you of? Or what advice might he give you? or encourage you to something to hold on to? I don't know. I, I suppose sort of... Smoke more weed. No, I'm, well, I'm, I'm currently fighting that, especially in today's society, fighting the urge to become that grumpy old man. You know, the sort of... It's hard today, mate, not to get jaded with people because there's so many fucking idiots about these days, you know? And the trouble with social media is it gives these fucking idiots a platform. Mm-hmm. And we as a people now are confusing opinion with fact. And it's a dangerous time, I think, because once you confuse opinion with fact, where do you get your truth from? You know, people are citing articles on Facebook and Twitter as if they are fact, not opinion. So, yeah, I think he would probably tell me, stop being so jaded with society. And he's probably got a point because for all the idiots, there are some marvelous people out there doing marvelous things. 
maybe the uh, the route out of that is to just proactively seek change. Yeah, man. Fuck it. Like, what else are we doing? So, like, a theatre's are open? No. I'm going to be open until, like, halfway through next year, by the look of it. <laughs> yeah, but I saw something in Belfast today. There was a, a theatre company was putting on a play as part of an arts festival in a shopping centre. Which I thought was okay. quite interesting. Because... And they're kind of a site-specific theatre company anyway, but because shops are open, they were like, fuck it, we're going to go into play at a shopping centre. And yeah. it makes a mockery then, because people were standing around, you know, masks on, some not, not they're not requirement here yet. And yeah. stand around a circle, quite close to each other, watching a piece of theatre. But because it's not in a building called a theatre, it's fine. Because it's in a, capi- because it's a capitalist fucking emporium, it's fine. It's mental. You can go anywhere with a till. You can't go and watch a piece of theatre, but you can go to Weatherspoons and slobber all over your mates in a big table together. It's crazy. There's a question in front of me that says, and I, have, I don't always ask it, what makes you angry? I think we know what makes you angry, Steve. <laughs> Wankers. Wankers, twats. Oh, um, yeah. Yes. Do you worry more about your health, work, or financial security? Uh, well, my dad died of a heart attack at 44, and I'm 43 and a bit. So I would say that. Are you very yeah. conscious of that? It is something I think about all the time, yeah. Yeah. I've got, I've got officially got like white coat syndrome. You know what that is? No. Like whenever you go, whenever you go for a, a blood test or anything like that, or a blood pressure test, or you go to a doctor's, you have um, like palpitations, high blood pressure. Like your anxiety, I have a level of anxiety there, and it's because I don't want someone to turn around and go, "You're just about to die." I'm afraid. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like every time I go for, I went for a medical for this. I just finished filming literally the Friday before lockdown, um, a drama down in Wales and I had to go for a medical for it and whenever everybody says that I'm like oh well that's it I've got the job but I'm going to lose the job because they're going to send me to the and they're going to tell me I'm going to be dead in two and a half hours so brilliant great that's yeah. that <laughs> you know what I mean um, listen thank you very much one more question are you in anything at the minute? <laughs> I'm in my summer house uh, yeah, actually, I've got a couple of things coming out, yeah. Uh, but, but are um, you in anything at the minute, Steve? I am in a camisole. And with that image, I leave you. Thanks again to Steve Mayo for doing the interview. Uh, we chatted for a couple of hours, and that's the heavily edited version of that. A lot of it wasn't suitable for broadcast. But uh, it was a joy to chat to Steve. I hope you enjoyed it too. I hope you'll join me again on a fortnight and between now and then of course there are literally dozens of episodes from the past five years of Honest Actors to go back and listen to or re-listen to uh, one more little flag for that supporter scheme on Acast. it's in the episode description if you'd like to support the show with a one-off generous donation of your choosing and if you can't donate like I've said before, I completely understand. We're all in the same fucking boat right now. So just, you know, tell your friends about the show and they'll thank you, won't they? 
they might not I don't know I've kind of I have no sense of what this is anymore but uh, thanks for listening I'll be back in a fortnight speak to you soon hold up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week Kiki Palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com 